You're listening to the Not Another Wrestling Podcast. All right, let's get to it. Welcome to another edition of the Not Another Wrestling Podcast. Ordinarily, I'd be uh, more enthusiastic, uh, more happy, because I'm talking about what I love, pro wrestling. But um, this is a bit of a somber, more of a sadder episode. I'm being joined with my good friend and former guest of this podcast many times, John Cummings. And tonight, we are going to be talking about the uh, life of Mr. Brody Lee. Uh, who recently passed away about a week or two ago uh, at the time of this recording, I think. Um, let me see. Uh, anyway, yep, ha- the Saturday after Christmas. Sa- oh, oh, Jesus Christ. That's the, not- the 27th. Oh, Jesus, that's horrible. But um, yep, I, yep, just sitting in my girlfriend's house, looked at my phone. It was like, I got a text from my sister, actually. She was like, did you hear about this? I was like, what? No. I looked at it, I was like, I Googled it, I was like, there's no way this is true. He, he was just on TV. He's been on TV a lot. Yeah, sure I, enough, Googled it, and it happened. I was like, what? Yeah, I, I remember where I was, too. I was, um, uh, me and my girlfriend were in our apartment, and um, she was on her iPad watching something, and I was uh, watching something on TV, or I was playing a video game, and I was just checking my phone real quickly. I saw it through Instagram, and I saw AEW posting the thing about about John Huber, his real name, uh, aka Mr. Brody Lee, passing away, and um, it's it's been a real shock and a real uh, just emotional time for wrestling fans and excuse me, um, just friends and peers of his and the family of um, of of Brody Lee. Um, did you uh, you happen to catch the the tribute episode that AEW had done for him? I did. I got home early from work that day. I recorded it just in case by chance I passed out early beforehand. Luckily enough, I didn't catch the whole show, but I, like I said, I had it recorded. By the, by the time I was done like showering, showering, doing house stuff, and I ate dinner, caught it right before the, caught it right at the, like right at the ending, right halfway through the main event match, and then the tribute to to close out the show. I I caught the ending, and I was, and even immediately after it, I was like. A- AEW did that right. AEW did right by him and his family for that one. Yeah, man, it was um, it was a real, real beautiful show that they did. Um, you know, for a guy who had only been there for about six or seven months in his uh, his time in AEW, you know, they really treated him like he was he had been there. Like, even though the company has only been around for now two years, you know, they treated him like they knew him for. It- for years, like and years twenty years. years, yeah, like like he was, he, like he was the seasoned vet of the locker room. Where you look at guys like mm-hmm. in WWE, you look at like obviously Undertaker, Shawn Michaels, Austin, the people, the young kids in the AEW locker room looked at Brody Lee like them. Like I'm gonna learn from this guy. He's he's already been there. He he's got a good mind. He's got a good mind for it all. I I can learn from him, and uh, from the stories from everybody else and the podcast and stuff like that, even the tribute. That's what he did. He took him under his wing, and he he led them right, saying he was one of the most heartfelt, funniest guys, but took it serious on the roster. Yeah, I mean, I guess the podcast you're referring to, I guess the uh, the one Jericho did, where he got a bunch of people on talking to Jericho, talking about all the memories about Brody. 
Um, yep. I spent a, spent that whole two hours at work doing what I had to do at work, listening to that. I had to, I had to, I had to stop working for a little bit too during it too. I was like, Jesus. Some some memories were you know obviously sad, but there were some really good ones. I know like the Bucks were talking about how, you know, they would get together and with Brody and just um, and just kind of rib other people and just say, like, look look at this guy. Like they're making fun of other people who are taking wrestling way too seriously, and they'd bond over that. Yeah. They bonded over DMs and they. Um, Nick Jackson had said that he had reached out to the Bucks um, around the time of sometime in like 2017 or 2018 whatever it was and they were saying how you know asking them how much money he didn't mind asking how much money they were making they told him and at that point he was trying they thought they speculated he was trying to get out and he congratulated them on all in when it happened and you know um he um he did, again he did, he did, like he said he just seemed like a really wonderful amazing human being to be around um you know he genuinely cared about others um, I remember Marco Stunt on Jericho's podcast talking about him saying that, you know, he didn't treat Marco like he was just some kid. And even though he could have, because Marco said he's only been wrestling for about five or six years. And, um, and he, but he treated him like he was a veteran, like, you know, like he was one of his peers. Like, he, and they put time into the little, little match they had during the, the lockdown era, like, uh, when they were doing their tapings in Atlanta, you know, because. Yeah. I think because Brody, um, like he stared down. I wasn't really watching AEW at the time. Um, oh, I, I know what part you're talking about. I was I actually remember it from the podcast. Marco was talking to Jericho about it. Um, they had the stare down at ringside before the match, and at that at that stare down, even Tony Khan saw it. he was like, "There's something there." Brody actually went to Tony Khan and was like, "I, I want Marco Stunt. I want to wrestle Marco Stunt. I want I want to help this kid out. I want to put him on the map to prove that, even though it's probably going to be a squash match." This little kid knows what he's doing in a short amount of time. He was like, I, I want, I want, I want Marco's done. That's, and I remember hearing that. I'm like, that's really cool. I think I remember seeing a clip or a gif or something where it's, um, where Brody's just staring down Marco and Marco just wastes him. And I remember Marco Stunt saying on, on the podcast, he's like, because I waved to him. He's like, because why wouldn't Marco Stunt wave to a big monster like Brody Lee? Um, which is right. fun, which is funny. That's kind of like his character and everything. It um, is. Even on previous podcasts, Marco was saying he's a he was a fan of the Giants, the big guys, because he wanted to be tall. Even though he got the short gene, he loved the Big Show. He loved the Kane. He loved Takers. He got, he loved the guys that were tall. And seeing Luke Harper, Brody Lee, being six eight, six nine, whatever he is, Marco looked up to him. Marco was like, I I want to be like him. Yeah, and he um saying that you know they put some story into their match. You know, easily like Brody could Brody could have just done a squash and just you know uh have that but like you know I, I never saw the match but from what marco stunt uh explained you know he got some offense in there he, and marco said i didn't call one thing in there that was all brody and he said you know he's like he's like how about you um you know how about you like you know get when you get off the ropes like you just like kick me in the face and he's like can i dive on you he's like yeah do that like you know he really wanted to help marco and he was saying and Marco Sun said in the podcast that, you know, every time him and Brody would pass by, he's like, hey, you're going to get me back one day. I promise. You are. Um, you know, he, like, he really wanted to help, and he really wanted to be there for the roster. And um, I guess we'll get to a little more of his AEW run later on the podcast. But let's kind of, like, go through his career a little bit, or let's – talk about a few things uh john what, what's your first memory of seeing Brody lee where did you first hear of him 
I first saw Brody Lee when I was in the military up in Washington when I believe it was 2013 when WWE had their tribute to the troops up at Joint Base Lewis-McChord. My unit had actually gotten picked to pull security for the event. I was lucky enough that I got picked because I was one of the very few wrestling fans, diehard wrestling fans that was in the unit. So I got chosen to go. And at this time, the Wyatt family had already debuted and I didn't know anything about them because I had spent the six six months away from a TV. So getting to do that, I was like, oh, this is amazing. I had a full-blown conversation with the Wyatt family, not knowing who they were. So I'm in my military uniform doing security for a tribute to the troops for something that I've grown up loving. So you guys just speak with with Bray and and Brody and and Eric Rowan? Yep, yep, shook all their hands, unfortunately. Now, looking back on it, I kind of regret it. I didn't get a picture with them because I had my eyes set on somebody else getting a picture with at that event. But, yeah, that was that was my first encounter with Brody Lee. Tribute well, to the Troops, 2013. How did that conversation... Joint Face Lewis. How, how did that conversation go? What, what was the conversation like? It was me and my one of my NCOs that liked wrestling, because obviously the NCO system, it went through him first, and he was like, oh, I got the perfect person. Cummings loves wrestling. He'll, oh, he'll be in. He's done. He's, he's in it. But it was just them mainly just thanking us for our service and for what we do and everything like that. And it was a short encounter, but even even I said, I, I didn't, like I said, I didn't know who they were at first. So got to know them through that. And like I said, it's, that, was, that was the first encounter. Just them thanking us for, my, thanking us for our, our, uh, our service and stuff like that. And me getting a little background on the Wyatt family since I had no clue what was going on. That's pretty cool. That's a pretty cool little way to be introduced to them. Like you, you don't really know who they are, and then you're like, you you probably assume like, well, these guys have to be wrestlers. Obviously, you knew they were part of the WWE, but you didn't really oh, yeah. know. You didn't really know how big of a, I guess, stars they were. This you said this is what 2013. Yeah, 2013. Okay. I, okay. Well, I believe it was October. October or November of 2013, because then the Tribute to the Troops aired at the end of December. Okay, yeah, so they had only made their debut, like, like earlier in the summertime, I think, at that time. So they were Probably still... like June, July, or something like that. Yeah, they were still relatively new to the main roster scene, but... But yeah, no, that's cool. Um, I, I, I unfortunately don't have any stories of meeting... Brody Lee, I I never got to uh, meet him at any of the many wrestlers that I've had the fortunate pleasure of meeting. Um, but I will say my first memory of him, I I didn't see him in the Indies, but I think it was the Wyatt family debut. Um, I don't necessarily remember their actual debut, but I do remember Bray Wyatt's. Uh, I think his first match was at SummerSlam. I think it was was an Inferno against match against Kane and Inferno match. Yes, it was against Kane. Okay, I remember looking at the group. They were they drew a lot of comparisons to the Shield, and I remember when back at that time, you know, they were the two big factions. When you look at the Wyatts and then you looked at the Shield, the Shield you saw all three guys, and you're just like every single one of them could be the top babyface or heel of the company and hold it on their back for a long time. Um, Absolutely, because by that time, they all had certain championship run, runs. They had the tag team run. Mm-hmm. 
uh ambrose moxley had the uh the the long u.s title run by then already Mm -hmm. Um, and as for the Wyatts, you know, there were similar things with Bray Wyatt. I'm like, okay, this guy is a total star. You know, he's the, he's a, he's the next larger than life character that WWE so desperately needs Harper and Rowan, you know, nothing against Rowan. Like I like Rowan and I think he had a decent little singles push when they broke him off from Daniel Bryan and like he could have been done put really well, but I don't, but obviously that didn't work. But Harper, Luke Harper, Brody Lee, he was a guy, I looked at him, and I'm just like, that guy can go places. Like, you know, I, I can see him as an attraction. You know, I've heard Edge on went back on the ENC podcast was a thing. He said, you know, Harper was a guy he saw he could face Taker in a mania and be a believable opponent. I'm like, yeah, absolutely, look at him, you know. Um, absolutely. Even even when I, even once I got to know a little background of him and I started, when I finally was able to, like, watch again, watching the Wyatt family, you just, you just saw something in him. It's like... He's 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 got a weird look to him, but it's all, but it's like he's gonna do something. He he could be something special down the road. You definitely something saw that. something is just some, the right thing is gonna come along, and it's just gonna work for him. And you're just gonna be like, there you go, there he is. Because like you said, Bray Wyatt was Bray Wyatt was probably was destined for something. Because even before he had a match, his his mic the way he just held himself on the mic was just great. And talking a little bit about the Wyatts, you know, they were a big thing in WWE for a long time. You know, say what you, there are a lot of criticisms with how the group was handled, with the booking, you know, with the with the breakups and the re- reformations and many different versions of it. But there was a lot of great stuff with the Wyatts. You know, you obviously had like the Wyatts versus the Shield. I was watching that match. I watched a lot of Brody Lee, Luke Harper stuff in the past couple of days. Uh, the first one I watched was uh, the Wyatts versus the Shield. That was a match that was just insane. You know, it was it was crazy to uh, be- from from that first moment the six of them were in the ring together before before anything. Chain, this this is awesome. month 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 months before the match that just stared down of the six of them in the ring. Mm-hmm. You That's- just saw that and it was just like, yes. I remember that Raw too. I remember seeing that it was a main event segment of Raw. I don't know what the pay per view was around that time, but like. They're supposed to be the heels, both factions, but, like, the crowd is going nuts. Wyatt is holding back Harper and Rowan, and then Reigns, Rollins, and Ambrose are ready to fight, and, you know, Bray's got that look on his face, and he's laughing, and Harper's sticking his tongue out, and he's crossing his neck, like he's side, turning his head sideways, just giving a crazy look. You know, people wanted to see that match, and when we got it in February, it was just... It was absolutely insane. It, it was a match where I'm like, although I don't know if the Wyatts are gonna win because the Shield they were they were the they were the guys, you know these yeah. are guys they want to push for a long time. But when the Wyatts won, and they won decisively, like they they took out Rollins and Ambrose, they messed them up. You know Wyatt got the win over over Roman Reigns. You know it, it solidified them as a top faction, as a top heel faction in in the company. Right. I guess going back a little bit. Uh, we before we got on, we were talking about a little bit about of his uh, his some of his indie stuff, and you were watching the match he had with uh, Johnny Gargano, and that to me wasn't necessarily. I don't know how many matches they had in the indies, but I watched it. I'm just like this. Just looked like it could have been more. It was a great little yeah. The, sequence. Way, the way the way it ended because it just ended, and now I'm on to uh, Cesaro and Brody Lee in a steel cage match. You're watching. Yeah, that, you're watching those oh, yeah, as we're recording. Uh, 
I'm still watching them right now. I got I got the volume low, so you can't really hear it. I'm still watching it. <laughs> no, that's multitasking cool. here. That's good. Um, I'll but yeah, the way that one ended, it was it was iffy. I was like, that that could have went longer. That could have been better. It could have, but I guess at the time, whatever indie promotion that was, they were they were clearly running a storyline in the middle of that. So I I guess that's yeah. look, looking back on hindsight, it's kind of just like, well, I don't know what's going on here. I don't know who these other guys are. But uh, that was a cool little exchange, you know. At least it's out there, you know. Brody Lee versus versus yeah. Johnny, Johnny Gargano. It's before anybody knew yeah. either one of these guys were. That yeah. that match you are currently watching, though, the Chikara steel cage match between Cesaro and Brody Lee. That match. Oh, Brody's busted open now. Yeah, that match is insane. Oh my god. Yeah, even the two I saw before before this, before we even started this, I texted you. Uh, I told you about it. I, I was uh, Eddie Kingston and Brody Lee from Chikara, and then. What was it? Oh, Brody Lee and John Moxley from CZW. I didn't get to watch those matches, but um, why don't you talk about a little bit of, of him versus Moxley and him versus uh, Eddie Kingston? What were those matches like? Oh, those were those were just normal matches for Moxley. You know, those the death matches, and him and Brody Lee and Kingston was just as hard. But I mean, you had Brody Lee and Moxley going through window panes. Oof. Throwing throwing chairs at each other, throwing each other into the metal guardrails <clears throat> on the side, up against the stairs, you name it. it. Just anything Moxley could get his hands on and anything Brody Lee could get his hands on, they just went for it. Damn, that's nuts. Yeah, like, there was a thing I think uh, I saw. It was somewhere on Twitter where it's a picture of Mox and Brody Lee in the Indies and then Luke Harper and Dean Ambrose and them in WWE and then. Mr. Brody Lee and John Moxley in AEW just staring each other down, and um, I don't know if it was Moxley who said it or the thing. The thing either said they were supposed to do this forever, or it said we were supposed to fight forever uh, between Brody Lee and John Moxley. And from their time, you know, a lot of fans who followed their indie career, they had a long history of matches between. Um, himself and Moxley yeah. you know like you said having all those death matches in CZW and that's those are two things that made both guys on the indies and essentially got them I don't know but got them jobs in WWE but but it it got them buzz and it got them notice on the independent circuit you know yeah. I I really because yeah, because John Moxley coming up to the indies was mm. the second coming of Mick Foley the second coming of Cactus Jack yeah, and you could kind of say the same for for Harper in a way. Um, even though he was more on the bigger side, like he yeah. he really should have had like a like a Kane esque type of uh, of run in the WWE. But you know, I looked. Yeah, I, I looked one at, of those big big men who had moves. He could big man who could move and I, knew how to throw his body around and use it as a weapon. I looked at it as like you know Harper should have been like the 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 cane to Wyatt's Undertaker, you know. Yeah. Um. But going through his uh, WWE career, we talked a little bit briefly about the Wyatts. You know, he did have some time as a singles competitor, and one match I was watching in particular, which might be my favorite singles match he had in WWE. And it was the latter match he had with Dolph Ziggler at TLC in 2013. And Harper was the Intercontinental Champion at the time, believe it or not. 
I think that's something people forget about, that he was actually Intercontinental Champion at one point. Isn't he a two-time IC Champion, or is he just that one-time IC champ? I think he's just one. I remember he beat Ziggler uh, for the title during like the whole authority thing. And then right, yeah. he was in the latter match at WrestleMania 31, which that's another great match that he was in, he was a part of. Um, but I believe he was only, he only held the IC title once, and then he was tag champs uh, a couple times. Strangely enough, he was he was only tag champs with Rowan once with his run with the Bludgeon Brothers. It's funny. They're, yeah, they're, that was they're, at WrestleMania 34 when. Yeah, they beat Big uh, New Day and Usos. Unfortunately, that match didn't really get much time. It, it, that was a match that where people were really looking forward to it, and it was supposed to be like, oh, my God, the Bludgeon Brothers, Usos, and the New Day, because the New Day and the Usos were having this amazing uh, feud back in uh, yeah. back in the summertime of that year. Unfortunately, the time got cut, but it is what it is, unfortunately. But, it's yeah, it's strange. He was tag champs with... Uh, Orton and Wyatt during the with the Freebird rule, and then he was a tag chance with Rowan, and then Rowan's tag chance obviously with Harper, and with Daniel Bryan. They're both two time tag team champions, and you'd figure both reigns would be with together, both, both together, but doesn't sometimes, you know? Yeah, no. Um, what what would you say your um, you think his best match in WWE was? His best match in WWE. I don't know. I, I, to be fair, I can't really remember much of his matches. It's probably, it, I'm to, actually to be honest, it had to be during his feud with Ziggler with the IC title. Some of those matches that they put on were great. Did you say the ladder match from TLC? I just, yeah, I just said any any match during that uh, IC title rivalry run mm-hmm. and that IC run for him. Yeah, those guys had really great chemistry together. Really, really great yeah. chemistry. Um. You know, as they progressed, you know, we had the whole Bludgeon Brothers thing. That gimmick was really good. They had a great tag match against uh, New Day in Brooklyn uh, 2018, I think it was, that SummerSlam. That was a really, really, really great match. And I think one of them was, in, I, I think Rowan, one of them was injured, and they still put on like a, like I think it was a street type, was it a street fight type of tag title match? I can't remember. Uh, I'm not sure. I, yeah, I can't remember. And I was at and I was at the SummerSlam of 2018. Well, it wasn't the SummerSlam. I remember that SummerSlam. The match ended in a DQ because I think one of them got hurt. But then they needed to drop the tag titles to New Day, and I don't know why you couldn't just drop them right there in the middle of the match. But they ended up having a better match, the SmackDown after SummerSlam, the Bludgeon Brothers, and then New Day. Um, right. I remember. I think it was. Uh, Brody, Brody, who said in a podcast that one of them was hurt. I think it was Rowan who was hurt, and they had to go away for a while so they could you know, heal up the injury and eventually come back. And then he came back to help Rowan in his singles run against Roman and Brian, and then he didn't really do much after that. They kind of did nothing with Brody. Yeah, no, and until he asked for his release, or asked for his release, and they were just like, no. And then they, he just sat there. So which, by the time he actually debuted on AEW, he was like, I was off TV for almost a year and a half. Which didn't make much sense, you know? Like, I remember he was at a NXT house show, and he had a match with Ricochet for the North American title. And I remember him talking on Jericho's podcast when he was initially released, and he debuted in AEW. 
you know, he had spoken with Triple H, and they were trying to see, like, you know, like, I think they're trying to see what he wanted, what he wanted to do. He's like, he's like, I'm not asking to be in a main event picture. I'm not asking to put titles on me. I'm just asking you to use me. I'm asking you to let me do something. I think even like he be in dark matches scheduled for SmackDowns or Raws, and they would they they would cancel and they wouldn't put him on. Um. It, that's something that never made sense to me is that they 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 stifled him and held him down when he wasn't being used. It's like that's the WWE thing, you know. It's like sign all these people, make sure all these people stay so they don't go work for your competition. But it's like, yeah, that, yeah. Make make sure we get all the best guys and the big guys, and then we'll just keep them here and just give them money because that's what they want. That's not it. Some people are content with that, but but he wasn't. Right, um, yeah, he wasn't. He just, he just he just wanted to wrestle. He didn't care about anything else. He was like, I just want to wrestle. He's like, I'll go back to NXT. And at the time, NXT was like the best version of itself. And he had yeah. conversations with Triple H about it, and they didn't go anywhere. But he's like, he's like, I don't know. He's like, and at that point, when he got his release, you know, he just wanted to, again, he just wanted to wrestle. And I guess going into his um his time, which he. He had said that he was supposed to debut for AEW in Rochester, New York, in 2020, but we all know that right, didn't happen. The double, the double debut. Yep, the double debut of him and Matt Hardy because it was at the time the Exalted One was gonna debut or finally come forward for the Dark Order, and everybody, everybody had the speculations. It's, it's got to be Matt Hardy. There's no way it's somebody else. It's got to be Matt Hardy. Everybody wanted it to be Matt Hardy, and I remember thinking to myself, if Matt Hardy. Brody Lee are expected to come to AEW. And if Matt Hardy is the leader of the Dark Order, what is Brody Lee going to do? Because, bro yes, Broken Matt Hardy made sense to be the leader of the Dark Order, but Broken Matt Hardy is already such a popular gimmick. It's so... It's, it's the gimmick that saved Impact Wrestling, and he could be fine on his own. But I feel like the Dark Order needed well, Brody Lee needed the Dark Order, and the Dark Order needed Brody Lee because, as we saw as, as 2020 progressed with Brody, the Dark Order went from just a gimmick that nobody understood and that nobody cared for to right, kind of just a group of guys who were there. Yeah, to to a legit faction, and it's helped everybody on on that roster, you know. Um, yep. it, it he went from, you know, one of the detriments of him in WWE was apparently, and Art Anderson said it, and Harp and Brody said it himself that like Vince was mad because he couldn't do a Southern accent. He's a, like, a Southern accent. Yeah, he's like, I'm from Rochester, New York. <laughs> I can't do. A uh, I heard accent. that. Yeah, the FTR mentions that a lot. That WWE wanted Harper to have the Southern accent, and they didn't want. FTR to have the southern accent and they were just questioning it. they're like why don't you want the guys who are from the south with the natural with the natural southern accent doing oh the southern accent but you want the guy from Rochester New York who yeah, can't do it for his life exactly to, to, it's like, to do a southern accent it's because he's like oh well he looks like he's from there like doesn't mean he is like that didn't make any sense to me I, I was laughing when, when no. it was FTR and, and Christopher Daniels portion of the podcast with Chris Jericho like that doesn't make any fucking sense. It's like you're right. Why wouldn't you have the guys who, who are from the south, use their southern accents, and then have some guy who's from the north? Just it doesn't make any sense. Um, but to see him go from wearing these, um, uh, 
you know, the, the dirty looking tank tops and the baggy jeans wrestling to these tailored suits. Fun, and these... fun, fun fact about his dirty outfit from the stories that the other wrestlers are sharing. He just made it look dirty. Those shirts were actually cleaned after every match, and those shirts were actually very clean. Yeah, Cesaro, I think, shared that story. He like he just made it look dirty all the time, um, yeah, and just made it uh, look dirty just to play up the gimmick of 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 what Luke Harper was. But to see him right. be kind of himself in that whole thing, you know, like I remember the vignettes when him and Alex Reynolds and John Silver at a restaurant somewhere, and he's eating steak. He's like. You guys can't eat unless I'm done eating. And then one, one of them sneezes. Like, did you just fucking sneeze? Get, did you sneeze? Get out! Get out! Get out of here! Get out of here! And he's essentially popping. You know, he was supposed to be Vince McMahon. Like, we all yeah. saw that. You know. Yeah, I was listening to, to the. Uh, I was listening to the AEW Unrestricted podcast, and they had Brody Leon, and he was talking about it. And he was like, he was like, I like when I, as soon as I went got into AEW, I didn't want to wear the dirty clothes. I like put on one suit, and everybody was like, "Oh, you got Vince McMahon, you got Vince McMahon vibes." He was like, "I didn't want that," so that's why I went to the tailored three piece suits instead of the Vince McMahon looking suits. I went to the three pieces, and as soon as I put that first three piece on, I was like, "Yes, this this feels right." He was like, "The three piece suits, being the title I had as the exalted one, being that leader." He was like. It just felt right. He felt he was like it, it's it's fitting. This is what I. This is me. This is me from now on. Yeah, it made sense. It, he looked phenomenal. He played the role so so well, and over time, you know. And this is something I wish I was kind of following. At some point, I kind of fell off a little bit with being the elite. I don't know when it was. But I've but recently that's something I was watching like all the Dark Order and Brody Lee stuff from being the elite was so funny like him hitting everybody with papers John Silver and Alex Reynolds and then Evil Uno and and Uno's got the Jaguars helmet he's like I did it it worked he's like take that fucking helmet off your head and he smacks him he calls up Uno he's like Uno we need you to do me a favor take need you to get a piece of paper bunch of papers (laughs) and throw them at your fucking head it's like yes Mr. Brody ah like it it really elevated all these guys and gave them it character. Really I mean, hell, it it, it turned. They, they sold John's- for crying out loud. The whole group sold being thrown, being having papers thrown at them. They had papers and they're jumping back like they're the Rock. They're selling paper throws like it's a Stone Cold Stunner that the Rock's receiving. Excuse me. And, and John, it made a star out of John Silver. You know, the Johnny Hungy. Like it just, yeah, everything. It was just so hilarious. You know. He Brody like helped elevate so many people, and Uno and Grayson were saying you know they weren't sure if Brody wanted to do it because he was coming in as a serious character, but when he started to do it, he was loving it and he just wanted to be a mean boss, you know. Yeah. Um, in his time in AEW, you know, we unfortunately we didn't get to see too much of it, but you know we did get to see him feud with John Moxley and they had a great match, a double or nothing. Um, yep. The the I actually just saw this for the first time last night because when this was airing, this episode of Dynamite, it was airing at the same time as Takeover Thirty. Um, when he won the TNT title from Cody, like some certain squash matches don't necessarily resonate with some people, 
But it, those special squash matches, like John Cena versus Brock Lesnar 2014 SummerSlam, and this one, Brody Lee versus Cody Rhodes in the main event at Dynamite, like, Cody got, like, zero offense. Brody just looked like a total monster. Him hitting the discus clothesline, winning, like, in, like, a few short minutes. I remember Cody putting up a gif of him taking the clothesline and Brody winning the title of a couple quotes in the tweet saying, you mind if I don't hook the leg in the pin? He's like, no problem at all, big rig. Uh, He, you know, just to really sell the devastation of, uh, of that move and you know the beat down from Dark Order afterwards Anna Jay choking out Brandy Rhodes and Dark Order being up on Dustin um, it, it, it solidified you know them as a top faction and you know it gave everybody so much personality like some of my favorite things with BTE was like you know him going like why is there always fucking something going on with Silver and Alex Reynolds like he's a kid he's nothing to do he's a kid he's like I'm 29 years old what do you mean I'm a kid he's like I have an 8 year old son he's a kid but he's not a fucking idiot <laughs> he was yeah. just he was he all was the, all, the rec- all the recruitment videos trying to get people for it and him calling him up he's like get hangman yeah they don't- like you you, you you got hangman you're gonna get hangman He's like, you like cowboy shit, fucking cowboy. We almost had Hangman Adam Page, and they try to get Jungle Boy, and it's Griff Garris. That's fucking Griff Garris. He's like, and <laughs> I don't remember which one it was. But after he had just scalded them, and Silver's got his hand, like he doesn't know who Griff Garrison is. He goes, he's like, are you really fucking raising your hand with the Dark Order sign? All right, what is it? What's your question? Who the fuck's Griff Garrison? Fuck. He's like, I don't know who he is. That's Griff Garrison right there. And then. And then Jungle Boy actually gets in the Dark Order area, and they tell him to leave. And Brody's like, why did I just see Jungle Boy walk out of here? And they're like, oh, shit. <laughs> they knew they fucked up. Oh, man. It, it was... It, it was. It's a good story, too, hearing how um, Johnny got... Or Brody got Johnny the uh, custom suit that... Or the custom ring attire that looks exactly like his. Yeah, he... To, to kind of help him out. I think Silver said, like, um... It was supposed to be for like a BTE bit, or it was some something they were gonna do on TV, and he said it cost him like you know a couple thousand dollars to make this. He's like, "Are you sure?" He's like, "Yeah, I'm sure." Um, and he actually, I think, said, just said on Twitter today, he's like, um, "Yeah, he's yeah, he's hanging it up. He's gonna frame it and hang it up on his wall." Which you know, that's that's cool. Much respect to him with that. Yeah, you know, that. same same thing as FTR renaming their finisher to big, uh big big, to Big Rig. Yeah. Which that it's it's really it's really nice and beautiful to see all these tributes that everybody's doing for him, and um, it really is just just reading on Twitter and Instagram and stuff like that. All all the stories that these guys are are sharing about who he was as a person outside of the ring. That's what's really like breaking it all down. It's like obviously kayfabe's dead, but some people believe in it if they do. But just watching, just look, reading all of them, it's like wow, this. This guy cared about both worlds. He was able to separate his wrestling gimmick and his family. Because even after he won the TNT Championship, he was talking to uh, FTR, and he was just like, "I just want to go home and take a picture with, with the title with my son." He's like, "I just want my I just want to give the, my son the title." He's like, "I don't give a crap. I don't give a crap about this title. I don't I don't care." He's like, "He cares. I do this for him. I want to give him the belt now." Yeah, Br- Bryce Rensberg, um on Jericho's podcast, a referee for AEW, 
he was saying it was either either on the podcast and or the tribute episode you know there are some great wrestlers but horrible family men there are some great family men and some okay wrestlers he's like but Brody was amazing at both he he was a, yeah. he was great in the ring but he loved his family more than anything and Ari Anderson talked about a story and um I don't remember who I was listening to today. It was somebody. Uh, I think it was Miro uh, video on uh, his YouTube channel. Watched a little bit of his little tribute today saying, or it was even, was it Miro? Uh, there was something WB put out. Um, or Daniel Bryan said it, you know, just, just saying that, you know, if there was a flight that he'd take that was only a couple hours, he would drive home uh he would drive home all these hours just so he could be home a little bit early. You know, if the flight took, you know, he'd get there, like, at night. You know, I think Arne Anderson said, like, you know, he's like, oh, I'm good. If, I drive, if I drive out there tonight, you know, I'll uh, I'll be in time to have breakfast with with the family. And I'm like, man, that that's, yeah. that's what he cared about. He cared about being a dad. He cared about being a, a husband and wanted to provide for them. And... We talked about the outport people have had just showing how much he meant to them, you know, and how much the, the that's because that's the thing that really people are, are upset about is losing him as a person. And yeah. he was a great wrestler, uh, but people just they just lost a great, a great soul. Um, yeah. In his time in AEW, uh, what would you say your favorite thing? about him as the exalted one was whether it be a match or you know something a bit or something he did what would you think the, honestly it's just his character his just his character as the exalted one in general i mean it's a lot different from what we saw in wwe as luke harper where he didn't get much mic time he didn't get much tv time he didn't get much of this he didn't get much of that he didn't get anything he had the tie he had the two tag team runs the icy title run but when he came to aew and he was able to have more creative control over his character and be able to do something like this and roll with it and made it work because he finally realized he was like yeah i could work with this did got the three got the tailored three-piece suits the custom-made suits and everything and it was final and just seeing him being able to actually do what he wanted and be who he wanted to be that was that was finally a great because like you said all the matches he had the tnt championship match with cody the one against moxley at double or nothing you just knew it's like okay he's brand new they're not going to give him the big run yet give it a little while then you're going to see the big run and it's just like what what's he going to be able to do over these next few years over the next few years of his contract with aew however long it may have been what could he what could he have done as the exalted one where could the dark order have gone where could he have gone from there so just being able to see him run with that cat, run with that character, and like I said, be more creative, and have more mic time and stuff like that. That's that was good. For for me, I mean, I would have to agree with a lot of the things you said. You know, his whole presence and his uh, role as the exalted one, as Mister Brody Lee, was was phenomenal. His character work was great. Um, I remember reading something that apparently, you know, he was never meant to win the TNT championship. Um, I, I don't know if, if, uh, if it was, uh, at the time they knew his condition when he won the title or if it was that, or maybe Cody had to go film that TV show that's on TNT now 
Maybe it was a combination of both. Um, I don't. Cody was saying something about. Um, he said like you know whether it was it was uh, it was either when Brody won the title or when Cody won the title back from him in the dog collar match that uh, when Brody got the Iggy that you know they they were gonna share a bottle of whiskey together, but when Brody got the Iggy that he could go back to uh, to his family you know he was out and he left. Yeah. Um, I think. And from. Oh, go ahead. Go ahead. Um, just I was just gonna say from what I've from what I've heard from like articles and stuff like that that his condition had actually started getting worse after worse after a workout after the dog collar match with Cody. Oh man, that's horrible. So so it was the, do- it was the dog collar match that really did him in. And I I listened to a podcast. He was like that was the one match he was actually looking forward to because he loved the dog collar match that Junkyard Dog had years ago. Yeah, I think it was, he was like I, he was like I, he was like one my one goal. He was like I just want a dog collar match. So when the match actually presented itself, he was like. And he was in the meeting for it, and he brought it up. He was like, "Hey, what about a dog collar match?" And everybody was like, "Oh, yeah, yeah. that's a good idea." He was like, "Wow, you guys actually said yes to that." Yeah, he was surprised that you know, creative people in the creative team like that's actually a great idea. Yeah, let's do it. Um, I love that dog collar match. I think that is probably the best match he had in AEW. Um, it might be my favorite match he ever had. It's that and the match he had with Ziggler for the IC title are right up there. Um, but I think the dog yeah, collar right. match... Currently, currently, right now, I'm watching the Moxley double, him and Moxley from Double or Nothing. That was a great match, too. Um, oh, yeah. yeah. I think... Um, yeah, just, just any any BTE stuff he was doing when he was throwing papers. Um, he, had a, a, he also had a pretty good match with uh, Orange Cassidy. That was a really good yes. match, too. Some people may, don't really remember that one. Um, Dustin Rhodes, he had a great match with Dustin too. He was only scratching the surface, but he did the work of his career in the in the past seven months, and there was so much more for him to do. You know, we, I, I had tweeted months ago or about a month or so ago. I said I'm calling it now. I said that um, Dark Order are going to turn on Hangman. It's all a ploy, and that it's going to be Mr. Brody Lee versus Hangman Adam Page at Revolution, and we didn't get to really see that. I think they may have touched a little bit in a uh, like a tw- like a like a big tag match they had with the Bucks, and the Elite. Like I think it was Dark Order versus the Elite. Maybe they touched a little bit. I don't remember, but we didn't really get to see that. We never got to see him versus Omega or guys like Jungle Boy. Uh, or Jer- oh, wait, no, we saw. I was gonna say Jericho, but I was like, eh, just go back to WWE. Harper and Jericho. Yeah, they. I think Jericho said like you know in 2015 he worked house shows and all he did was work matches against Harper. Um, yeah, I there was one thing I wanted to mention earlier, but um, one thing that really made me a big fan of Luke Harper in particular, Brody Lee. I was at a Monday Night Raw in Brooklyn, 2014. I was actually rewatching this match last night. Um, I never watched it back since the night I w- I was there for it. Uh, John Cena was shooting with Bray Wyatt, leading into their match at WrestleMania 30. It was about two weeks before WrestleMania 30. And one of the marquee matches announced for the night was Luke Harper versus John Cena. I remember thinking to myself, I wonder what's going to happen. This was a big night for him. Uh, for me, it was like Luke Harper's coming out party because the, the crowd in Brooklyn was hot for him. He was doing things that I'd never seen a guy his size ever do. He's doing suicide dives. 
you know, doing like these super kicks and drop kicks. Harper was like, I'm like, this is the, like, I'm like, he's the best big man they got. Like, I've never seen a guy do stuff like this. Um, that's when I really became a fan of his was that match with John Cena. The match ended with like, um, it was like a, a no, a, a no, no contest because at the little, uh, the, duh, the, the the thing you know when Bray Wyatt does his little spooky stuff yeah comes up you know it was Cena with his arms tied in the ropes and he has and a sheep mask and then the whole crowd is chanting this is awesome and then going he's got the whole world in his hands um yeah. it was just a really great moment for that and yeah man I I, I, I just really miss Brody Lee you know uh, when when it happened yeah. I I was like. I didn't necessarily cry, but I was really, really distraught and upset hearing about, yeah, I, about it. Yeah, watching watching Luke Harper from day from when he well, I can't say debuted since I missed it, but watching him go through WWE and then into AEW in a in WWE, I just liked that whole dirty grungy look, the bushy beard. It had the the random gray strands here there just a grungy thing and then the way he wrestled when he got the chance was good and then AEW seeing the way that rolled it was all good and like I said you know it's just things could only get better for him from there and then that Saturday when I got when either my sister or somebody told me about it I go with it I was I was in dis I was distraught I was just like no 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 not 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 Brody not Luke Harper it was a it was a couple days before I was actually like all right, I can I can ease off it a little bit, but still, even then, still reading all the stories and stuff, I'm just like, damn this this one hurts a little more. Like this this one as a wrestling fan, this one hurts. It does. I know they all hurt, but other ones just hit differently. And that one with Brody, it was just like, wow, that one actually that one actually sucks. What would you say? Um, going back a little bit to the uh, the tribute show they did for Brody Lee, um, what would you say was your favorite part of that show? my favorite part <clears throat> I mean don't you want before, like just the whole show in general I mean just you could talk or about just you. my experience at tribute to the troops with those guys and being able to see oh. Brody oh no I, I was talking about the AEW show but yeah t talk about if you want to talk about your thing with um, I mean you get you kind of touched about upon that really what well, my question yeah. was really was what was your favorite part of uh like the the tribute show they did for Brody Lee uh, last oh the say. oh the tribute show okay I thought you meant Sorry. the tribute to the troop show okay Sorry about that. now we're good um the whole video and seeing just everybody say their words and then honestly the part that really got me was the end watching Cody and Tony Khan hand over that TNT championship to his son right there it was just like oh this is this is real. And they, they gave him the title, and then a few, what, the next morning they came out and said, yeah, we got a new design for the TNT title because Brody Lee Jr. is the forever TNT champion now. That 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 title is retired for him. That's his. Yeah, that was really beautiful. I remember um, there's even a video out there where um, I don't think it happened um, on TV, but it was on YouTube or something. And it's Tony Khan hugging Brody Lee Jr. And he's, you know, Tony's on the verge of crying. Brody Lee Jr.'s crying. And he goes over to his, to, to Amanda Hubert, uh, Brody's Brody's wife. Um, and they're crying. And it's, it's, it's hard. 
you know, Ten is in the ring and he's 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 upset and crying and Cody. It's a real beautiful moment. Um, yeah, the way the way they just left his boots there with with the bandana draped over it too. One of my other favorite parts of the that really got me before that that moment was um, the match. I think it was um, Hangman Reynolds and Silver versus uh, Inner Circle MJF and Santana and Ortiz. You know, when yeah. when, sent, when MJF took the, the mask off Brody Lee Jr. and started to spit in it, and then he hit him with the kendo stick. That was real fun. And then, you know, they threw the papers. They threw the papers of the guys on the match. And then Wardlow gets involved. And then out comes Eric Rowan, really Eric Redbeard. Like, it was funny about that is that Jericho kept saying, That's Eric Rowan. It's Eric Rowan. Yeah. And Excalibur's uh, correct him. Eric Redbeard's like, It's Eric Rowan. It's Eric Redbeard. Redbeard. Because, you know, they could get in trouble for that because WWE owns the rights yeah. to the name Eric Rowan. Um, but when Silver did the, the whole mustache thing that he would do with, with Bro- Brody would do with his beard and then hits the discus clothesline I think on Ortiz and then he just he just he starts weeping and he's crying his his face is in the mat and I'm just like oh man and then the sign uh, that Eric, uh, yeah that red beard had he's, he's like goodbye for now my brother I'll see you down the road I just I I I teared up a little bit. I'm like, oh my god, this like it's, it's. I did, I did, I did too. Seeing seeing him like that and knowing like watching them as a tag team, and it's like, man, they were a good tag team. The Bludgeon Brothers may have been a terrible idea, but they worked with it and made it good for the time they had with it. And it's just like, it's just you, you hate to see a giant, even a giant his size too, look like that. It's like that if it's affecting a man like that. I mean, they were brothers, you know. They were up and down yeah. the road together for years. I, going back to the Jericho podcast, like when they worked against each other, you know, uh, Har- Brody Lee said to to Ari Anderson, he's like, Dubs, double, he's killing me. He's like, well, kill him back. Like, you know, he's he's, he's like, I had to go to creative. You're fucking up my boy. Because <laughs> Ari uh, Anderson was a, a huge, huge supporter of uh, Brody Lee. Um. Yeah, man. It's 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 a really sad time as a wrestling fan. If you were a fan of his, as Luke Harper, Brody Lee. Um, another thing that really got me was uh, the the episode of Being the Elite this week, where I don't know if you saw Eddie Kingston's promo. Not really a promo, but he gave a speech to everybody backstage about Brody. I've and seen it. I haven't. I haven't watched it all the way through yet, though. It's again. It's just so heartfelt. You know, he's speaking from it, again. Kingston's speaking from the heart, you know, that's one of his best friends in the business and he's like, you know, it's like I love each and every one of you. He loved each and every one of you. You know, every night we're gonna honor his legacy. Like this is the best damn tribute show I have ever seen and been a part of. And I love that man. He will always we will forever tribute him. We will forever make his memory alive every day. I'm paraphrasing here, I don't remember everything, but it was just really really impassionate and it's just it's just sad you know like i said at the, top, the start of this thing this is a bit of more of a uh sadder episode but um but we well, i wanted to put this out there for you know for Brody lee and you know our our condolences go to you know amanda huber and Brody jr um uh, little nolan and the entire and anyone who's been affected by this and peers and friends of Brody lee you know we Truly, truly are sorry for your loss. Yes. Um, I think on that note, 
we'll uh, kind of wrap up the podcast. Wait, What's one, up? One more thing real quick. I did also like how AEW, Tony Khan, they gave his son a contract when he is older, when he's old enough to actually be in the ring and be a wrestler. They gave him a contract already yeah, to right. join the AEW roster. That's really cool. I saw that too. And um, I guess real quickly, i touch on Brody Lee Jr. a little bit. I remember seeing stuff all over. Like they had like a New Year's Eve party. You know, he was um, he was working uh, Ricky Starks, and then he was like, uh, like there was a thing where apparently he beats Adam Cole for the TNT title. Um, I did, I did uh, see that. You know, and Jericho walks by. He's like, "What the fuck's going on here?" He's, <laughs> and it was over like uh, Brian Pillman Jr.'s uh, Instagram story. But that was really cool, you know. He's um, even like uh, Excalibur and Bryce Redberg said, you know, now now he's got these kids. They have uh, over a hundred uncles and aunts who who are just gonna love him and always be there for the, yeah. fam- the family. Um, you know, it's a sad time, but people grow stronger when you lose someone you care about that much. And um, you know, those kids are gonna be okay. They all will. Yeah. Yeah. You know, the entire wrestling community in the world has lost a truly, truly wonderful human being and soul from what we have seen. And once again, we wanted to give our condolences to Amanda Huber, Brody Jr., and Nolan, little Nolan. And just thank you, Brody Lee, for your time in this world. And as a wrestling fan, I enjoyed every every single bit of him being around. Do you have anything last words to say about Brody Lee, John? No, you pretty much summed it up just go up there and win that just go up there and win that royal rumble brody (laughs) huge roster up there you got to prove yourself again (laughs) well on that note uh thank you all so much for listening to this episode of the not another wrestling podcast and our tribute to the exalted one mr brody lee um uh you can listen to us on any podcast forum you you uh, are available on apple podcasts google podcasts spotify uh podbean anchor um Follow us on Twitter at TNAWP, the, the Not Another Wrestling Podcast on Instagram and Facebook. Uh, for John Cummings and CJ Palmasano, thank you all for listening. We'll see you next time.